Everybody close your eyes. Everybody take a deep breath. And let's begin with a moment of good rest. Good rest. Keep your eyes closed and take another breath and relax your body. And no matter how your body feels, hold it still for the next 60 seconds. Holy Spirit, uh, I invite you to come in and to manifest as Lord of the Sabbath, Lord of rest in this place, and to bring us a supernatural rest. We pray in the name of our Lord. Some of you are a little too fidgety to rest. You're looking at stuff that's happening around the room. You don't really know if you can buy into this weird liturgy that we're doing. Let me just say, close your eyes, hold your body still, go with it. You never know, it might be a blessing. Now the Holy Spirit is here, the Lord of rest is here, so whatever you offer up to him, he will take for you and let you rest from it. That's the deal. So in the name of Christ, I encourage you to let it go. Give him the thing that you're grieving about right now. Just give it to him, and he's just going to whisk it away, and you're going to stop thinking about it. And in the name of Jesus, I charge you to give him that thing that you're anxious about, that you're worrying about, that has been left undone, that is hovering over your head like a threat. In the name of Jesus, give it to him. And since he is the authoritative Lord of rest, he's going to take it away from you and you're going to stop thinking about it. And in the name of Christ, I encourage you to let go of that thing that is shaming you, that is making you feel so crappy. See, he's the Lord of rest, he's the Lord of grace, he's the Lord of forgiveness, he has all authority here. So give it to him and he's going to take it now and you're going to stop thinking about it. There will be a space of freedom and rest in your life from it. Now, in the name of Jesus, take a breath. And in the authority of Christ, I say, relax. You're going to start to feel just a tiny bit happier now. I see a bit more light and experienced. Uh, a sneaky sort of joy. I give you permission to rest in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Open your eyes. How was that? How many of you found that a little bit refreshing? That's pretty good. How many of you went through that whole three-minute exercise and never really bought in? It's like, uh, I just wasn't there. There are like 20 of you staring at me the whole time, and right now you're all lying. 
You're like, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just rest stuff. This is Sunday for Pete's sake. Preach. Yeah? Rest is hard. I think probably uh, the period of my life that taught me most about rest was one of the, the worst periods of my life um, when I, beginning like in my mid-twenties uh, for a while, I went through a period of, of rather severe depression. I talk about it often. I developed some rules for depression uh, that sort of helped me survive. You know, my first rule was don't panic, it'll be better in the morning. Uh, you know, exercise and eat right. Make hay while the sun shine, which meant, you know, some days I would be dysfunctional, but on days in which I were functional, I would work a while and not worry about the next day. But uh, one of the, the big rule, number four, uh, for, for my depression was uh, re remember the Sabbath. It's the law, stupid. Um, which, which meant that, you know, you're, you're supposed to rest. In fact, we're ordered to rest. And if you call yourself a follower of of Christ, then, then rest is supposed to figure into your life in, in some uh, profound way. But I felt terrible uh, during my depression. There were lots of things bothering me. Uh, we need not go through them. Uh, but, but I had to somehow make a deal with myself so that I could uh, have, have a day of rest. And I chose the day Sunday uh, uh, for my rest, or at least part of the day uh, on Sunday. And, and, and I just tried to relax. You know, display the character that we just tried to practice there in that short little liturgy. <clears throat> My definition of relaxing was, all right, uh, for a chunk of this day, I'm going to pretend that everything is okay. And that's how I expressed it to myself. I'm going to pretend that everything is okay. Because I knew myself, and there was no way that I was going to actually feel that things were okay. And at that point in my life, I could not even believe that things were okay. But doggone it, I was going to pretend that things were okay, and I was just going to play act, uh, rest for a while. That was the best that I could do uh, at, at the time. And, and I would say uh, that that practice of, of holy pretension uh, pretty much saved my life. That was a big ingredient uh, to my recovery. My life was very painful during that period, exquisitely painful, so I needed to get very good at resting. You understand? The more effortful, the more painful, the more harried, the more stressful, the more ridiculous your life is, the better at rest you need to be. Uh, that truth was, was really driven home to me. Uh, and since then, actually, in a sense, I have been very good at resting in life. In this narrow sense, when I'm in control of my schedule, I actually do pretty well at resting. Here's my problem. I am rarely in control of my schedule because lots of people and lots of things have claims on me in life. Can I get an amen? amen. Oh yeah. I know it's true for some of you as, as well. Uh, there's, there's little that I can do to control my schedule oftentimes. Um, so this calls for a different rest skills. That's kind of what I want to talk about today. Are you too busy? Anyone? Is anyone too busy? How many of you don't have enough to do? Because there's a sign-up table right over there. You know, we have service team captains who'd be happy to talk to you. I noticed when I asked that question, nobody raised their hand. 
I think it may be because most of you feel like you have too much to do. It may be because some of you are hiding. I don't know. How many of you are tired? Life, you just feel tired. You know, not like tired this morning because, dear God, you had to make a 9 a.m. service. But just sort of, you know, tired in life. Anyone? Yeah. Um, even if you're not busy, you're probably tired. You know why I say that? It's because few humans rest well. Rest is just not a skill that a lot of us are mature in. Um, and, and sometimes that goes right to the basic stuff. Studies show that fully one-third, somewhere between 33 and 40 percent of American adults are seriously sleep-deprived, getting fewer than six hours of sleep per night. That apply to anyone? Yeah, roughly a third of you. Actually, I think in Blue Water, probably the proportions are higher uh, for various reasons. Um, but fully a third of American adults are sleep-deprived, which is actually nothing because the same sort of studies show that, are you ready for this, 90% of American high schoolers are significantly sleep deprived, getting few hour, fewer hours than, than six per night. 90% of our teens, which you know, just really serves them well. Not so much. Oh, we have a culture of, of sleep deprivation. Part of that is because we're too busy, uh, although we have all these labor-saving devices, uh, part of it, I think, is is because we just suck at resting. Um, everybody's tired, everybody's busy, everybody, who here needs a break? Everybody needs a break. And in and, and, and all of that, I, I just find, find it mysterious that the Lord had to make the Sabbath command one of the big ten. When I read the Ten Commandments, it, it just always mystifies me that God had to spend one of them, you know, ten percent of the big ten, he had to spend on commanding us to take a break. Isn't that funny? Any of you bosses, you run businesses, how many of you have to command your employees to take a break? It seems like it's something that we should do naturally, given that we're, we're busy and tired. We should want to take a break. But the Lord, no, in His wisdom, He sees fit to order us to do it or else. I mean, at the beginning, there were some serious consequences to it as well. It was like He really had to command us uh, to take a, a break. And I think that has to do with the nature of our life on earth. What is life on earth like? Well, it's, it's characterized by a few fundamentals. It's characterized by scarcity. Everybody's always worried about having enough. How many of you feel like you have plenty? Right? And I think that's probably an overrepresentation compared to American culture. You're people of faith, uh, but most people aren't. So, uh, they feel like life is very scarce. They're just kind of getting by, even in a culture of plenty, which is what we have. Um, so it's characterized by scarcity. It's characterized by uncertainty. If nothing else, there is uncertainty about the future. So even if you do have enough, you often feel like you need to store up more. You need to get a little bit of head ahead, and that, that drives rest right out of our lives. And the other thing I think is shame that life is fundamentally characterized by shame. Most of us feel like we are inadequate. Most of us feel like we are falling short. Uh, one of, one of the, the few things that all world philosophies and religions can agree on is that humans fall short of the ideal, and we all carry that around with us in shame. We feel like we're falling short, so we always feel like there's a little bit more that we have to do. 
and that translates into a lack of rest. And moreover, if we lack faith, it's hard to rest well even when we do rest because when we rest, many of us feel like we're cheating or our mind continues to run and just sort of compromises the quality of our rest. Well, we're uh, in the second week of a sermon series that I have called Rhythm for Grown-Ups, establishing rhythms and routines in life that are really going to help you be the mature person that you ought to be in the kingdom of God. Uh, this series comes on the heels of a sermon series on discipleship, Discipleship is defined as effortful growth. In life, uh, you are supposed to grow, and that's going to require effort. So you need to get good at both effort and growth if you're going to be uh, a fruitful disciple of Jesus. Effortful growth, we want to grow into grown-ups. We want to be mature people of faith. And if we grow up in a maturity in Christ, it brings grown-up virtues like responsibility and reliability and commitment. Ephesians 4 says that we want to become the mature body of Christ, which means in a, in a mature spiritual community uh, like we want to have, everyone is doing their part without being told. Everybody is maturing fully into their call and their functions in life uh, without us having to harp on it all the time. In this church, I really covet, I really desire that we have a lot of models of maturity uh, because the way we learn how to be grown up is we model ourselves after people we think are grown up. So we need a lot of grown ups at Blue Water Mission, pillars in the church. And rhythms and routines are how we accomplish maturity in life. I think pretty much your routines, your habits, your rhythms define you as a person generally. Um, if I want to know what you prioritize, I look at what you do routinely in life, uh, what your life rhythms are. So a smart person uses routines and rhythms to practice uh, the things that help us to grow up. So rhythms for grown-ups. What are some grown-up rhythms and routines that you can have in life that will really help you? And as you have probably guessed this week, we're going to talk about the rhythm and routine of rest. Rest, which, let us be clear, is a supernatural kingdom thing because the world does not rest well. This is why God had to give the rest command as one of the big tens. Like, this will set you apart from all peoples if you are good resters. What is good rest? What goes into good rest? Well, we could probably have an interesting conversation about that, uh, but down and dirty, I think that good rest is defined by a sense of security. You are at rest if you are in faith, which means you are out of fear. Trust is a powerful word in that, in that same sense, right? As trust means that you are settling into something, that you trust something to support you. Sure, yeah. So you rest well when you rest securely, dot, 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 no matter the situation. If you can rest securely no matter what's going on, you're a pretty good rester. You are a mature rester, or you are resting in a way that will lead you to mature. Uh, you are a good rester as well if you can do it regularly. That is, if you have established a routine of rest in your life, more or less, because routines define who we are. 
And I think you're also a good rester if you can um, do it extremely at need. Like if you're tired, you can rest. If you have to rest, you can, no matter what's going on. I think that defines a, a good rester. More on that later. Now, resting well does not mean not being busy. Resting well does not mean not working hard. Indeed, if you're busy and you're working hard, you must rest well. Right? Um, if you're good at hard work, you'd better be good at resting well. A mature person, here's the bottom line, a mature person works hard and rests well. That's maturity. That's maturity. You got it? Both of them. That's how you know uh, that you are a mature person in this segment uh, of life. How can you tell if you don't rest well? Let's just start with, with this, some, some negative definitions. How can you tell if you're not a good rester? Well, here are some ways. Number one, laziness. If you're a bad rester, you'll almost always be a lazy person. Uh, a lack of rest leads to laziness in this sense. Since you don't know how to rest well, you will decide not to work too hard. You follow? So if you have a dull, lethargic sort of life, I'm going to guess that you probably suck at resting. Right? You, you have made a deal not to allow yourself to work too hard. You're afraid of hard work. And one of the reasons you're afraid of hard work is probably because you have no idea what good solid rest is like. You have a low temperature life, if you know what I mean. If you're a bad rester, you have a low temperature life. Uh, number two, if you're bad at resting, uh, you'll, your life will be characterized by unwise compromise, which should be in a wrap but I'm not that skilled. Uh, by unwise compromise, I mean you ignore important things to do and or soothe yourself with sinful things, right? You're making these unwise compromises. You're being disobedient, in other words. You're compromising on important values and important activities. Why? Well, because you're tired all the time. Uh, tiredness is the problem. That that you use to excuse your poor behaviors, your sins of omission, neglecting important things, or your sins of commission, doing sinful things in order to soothe yourself a little bit. Um, but really, tiredness is not the problem. Lack of rest is the problem. More on that later. Uh, number three, uh, if you're a bad rester, your life is characterized perhaps by escapism. And I think this is true of a lot of us. Escapism is when you can't rest in your life, so you try to escape your life. And we have lots of ways of escaping. Sometimes we just do it, you know, mentally. We have fantasies that allow us to escape. We find ourselves staring out the window a lot, thinking about the great life that we're going to have once we leave this life behind, you know. Um, sometimes we try to escape. Well, I mean, the, the cultural form of escape is the vacation, you know. Yeah, we have these escapist vacations, which are just so utterly not our lives. And what we do when we have escapist vacations is that we go on vacation and we exhaust ourselves with our escapisms, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about, anybody? Amen? 
we vacation so hard because we just need to get away from our life. A lot of guilty looks out there right now. So. But there are other things that we do so hard in order to escape life. You know, we'll get involved with ridiculous projects or ridiculous hobbies, and all we're trying to do is crowd out the fatigue. Is we can't cope with our life, so we hold our life at bay. And there are all sorts of things uh, that we can do that. Essentially, we work really, really hard at one thing, but entirely avoid doing the thing that intimidates or threatens to wear us out. Um, this leads to unhealthy, uncentered lives. You know, you might be a star at work, but your body is grossly unfit because you can't rest it or attend to it. Or you look like a fitness model, but you can't hold down a job because you're escaping here and refusing to do the thing that wears you out over here. Or you spend eight hours researching the purchase of a new shower head because you just can't face fill in the blank, you know. You can't face, you know, the, the other chore that you don't like to do, you know, the, the dirty kitchen or time with the kids or whatever else, you know, it happens to be. Um, or you give a ton of time to, to some hobby but can't seem to make it to church regularly uh, because the hobby is escapist for you and church is too real for you. Uh, avoidance, escape instead of rest. Um, trying to get away instead of resting in the midst of your life, which is really where it needs to happen. Uh, lack of energy uh, is a fourth thing. Uh, lack of energy for good things. And lack of energy, I think, is different than tiredness. If you're tired, it means you need to rest. But if you give up or are burned out, to use the popular phrase, it means that you have failed to rest or rest poorly. You know. The answer to tiredness is rest, but the answer to lack of energy is learning to rest. Does that make any sense? Um, if you don't rest well um, also, uh, you will wear out the people around you. You will suck their energy. If you don't rest well, you will wear out the people around you. Uh, you will wear, because they're close to you, right? Their life is attached to your life. This happens a lot in families. It happens at work. It happens in churches as well, because we're all working together, right? We live life in teams, and if one person on that team does not rest well, everyone else will carry the burden. They'll, they'll have to. So you will wear them out with your escapism, or you will wear them out with your compromises, or you will simply cause them to work extra hard because you're being lazy and not doing the things that you need to attend to. You're being immature, so the adults will have to carry twice the load. Um, by contrast, community will help you rest well. If we're all doing our part and one of us needs to rest, the body will compensate. Um, so that's a blessing. Lack of maturity is a symptom of not being a good rester. Uh, you will be immature uh, because you're not going to be doing kingdom things because you're too busy or worn out or lack energy or you're lazy or you're escapist or whatever or you've disqualified yourself through compromise. And all of that stuff may be the symptom of just poor resting ability. And it will keep you stunted your whole life. You'll just fail to grow up because you don't go to bed on time like a grown-up does. It might be as simple as that. And then lack of faith will be the result if you are a poor rester. Uh, faith leads to good rest. If, if you have faith, then you will rest no matter what the situation is. 
but rest can also lead to faith. If you rest well, <laughs> then you will have the maturity to live a, a life of faith. More on this in a second as well. So, you know, lots of ways uh, that lack of rest or that poor rest ability manifests in our life. It's a commandment, the Sabbath is. It defines us as a people. Yet, I notice, being a student of Scripture as I am, that every time Jesus talks about the Sabbath in Scripture, he talks about why it's okay to violate Sabbath customs. Have you noticed this? Every stinking time the dude brings up the Sabbath rest, he's talking about why it's okay to make an exception on, on the day of rest, which rattles me a great deal. Uh, more generally, if you look at Jesus' life, I think you would be hard-pressed to describe it as a relaxed life. Do you guys know? Have you read the Gospels? Have you read the histories about Jesus' life? The dude was sprinting from dawn till dusk every day. You know, the, the story opens, well, the story opens on his childhood, which was filled with, like, running from the law, right, running for his life and living in foreign places and stuff like that. When next we check in, he's being led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he has an exhausting 40 days. He even goes without food, living out in the rough, camping so it just sort of starts with this exhaustion. Then he comes back and he starts his kingdom ministry, he starts doing miracles. The crowds start pressing him. It says there in the first accounts that he didn't even have time to eat. Didn't even have time to eat. No fast food in those days. Couldn't eat on the run. Didn't have time to prepare and eat a meal. Every time he tries to get away from the crowd with his disciples, the crowd ruins it somehow. Never gets a vacation. The dude had to get up before dawn. He had to get up before daylight every day just to get time to pray. And he did get up before daylight every day. Sort of tells you about his schedule. And then the scriptures show all these violations, right? It's the Sabbath day. And in his culture, people took the day of rest really seriously. And so when he did something that looked active, the religious experts often got angry at him. In Matthew 12, we see him and his disciples walking through a field of grain on the Sabbath day, and they're hungry, and so the disciples are picking heads of grain. And the religious experts come along and say, no, 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 you're not allowed to harvest food on the Sabbath day. That's work. Violation! You call yourself a rabbi. Uh, in, that, in that same story in Matthew 12, uh, there is presented before him a man with a withered hand, a shriveled hand. And Jesus heals the man. And the religious experts say, you're doing ministry on the Sabbath. No. You call yourself a, a rabbi. And that's the occasion on which Jesus gives his famous teaching. He says in the Matthew version, hey, if you own a sheep and the sheep falls in a ditch on the Sabbath day, are you not going to rescue the sheep and save its life? The more famous version is, hey, if your ox falls in a ditch, are you not going to try and drag the, the ox out and save its life? I mean, come on. The Sabbath is supposed to be life-affirming and helpful. Um, so, uh, you know, think in a common-sense way. In the Mark version of that story, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Of course it's fine to do good on the Sabbath. You know, the God of love tells you to rest. Are you going to rest instead of loving people? It makes no sense. Um, so, so exceptions are allowed. 
Uh, in Luke 13, there's a woman with a crippled spine. Jesus casts out a demon and heals her on the Sabbath, gets in a lot of trouble. In Luke 14, the religious experts actually trap him. They bring uh, before him a man who has all sorts of grotesque swelling and say, go ahead, tempt him or heal him on the Sabbath, loser. And of course, Jesus does after getting really angry at him. There's the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. That took place on the Sabbath as well. In John 9, he's presented with a blind man on the Sabbath, and he makes mud and puts it in the man's eyes, which is a double violation because not only did he heal, do ministry on the Sabbath, which wasn't allowed, but he made mud, which is like making bricks. And that was a big no-no if you were a Jew on the Sabbath in those days. Anyway, it's not like he stressed uh, uncompromising sanctity of the Sabbath day. What he stressed was doing good, no matter what the day was. But he was good at rest. And then finally, we get to our scripture of the day, which you're going to find uh, on the back of your program and up here on the big board. From Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. It might be a familiar story to you, of Jesus on his disciple, and his disciples in the boat on a stormy sea. Uh, so what's happening here, the context is Jesus is trying to get away from the crowds to take a break with his disciples. So he takes off here. Unfortunately, he and the boys run into a storm at sea. That wears them out. Then they get to the other side and they encounter uh, a Gar the garrison demoniac, the guy with thousands of demons. And so they cast the demons out and then the locals kick Jesus out of their, you know, vacation condos. And they have to do another all-nighter to row back across. Anyway, he ends up pulling two all-nighters straight, even though he's trying to get a vacation, which tells you a little bit about his life. But this is the first part of that story. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Let's get away from here and take a break, guys. Leaving the crowd behind, yay, uh, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Didn't even get to pack, just get in the boat, let's get out of here. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. Uh, that uh, body of water was famous for, for squalls out of nowhere. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Remember, a big chunk of these disciples were professional fishermen who were used to this body of water. So if they're freaked out, how bad is the storm? Have you ever been on the ocean in a small boat during a savage storm? I have. Those of you who have, how hard is it to sleep? You can't. It's really, really hard. Jesus is not asleep in the back of the boat. The dude is passed out in the back of the boat. He is so exhausted, right? Or so relaxed that he can sleep no matter what the situation is. So they're pitching around, the disciples are despairing for their life, and Jesus is taking a nap. I feel like that a lot. I feel like, I am dying here, my life is so difficult, and apparently God is napping because he's just letting me drown. That's how they're feeling. Don't you care, God? Don't you care? There's a symptom of lack of rest in your life. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Yo, storm, shut up. Then the wind died, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Uh, do you still have no faith? It's just, I wish, I wish I were there. 
just a hilarious scene at that point. Like, what just happened? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So first point, the nature of Jesus's rest. Jesus's life was so effortful, so exhausting, he had to be a genius at resting. And he was. He could climb into the back of a boat on the stormiest of stormy seas and have a nice nap. How many of us rest that well? No matter what's going on, bullets flying overhead, explosions, life crises, everything going wrong, and it's like, ah, I could really use a nap. I'm just going to lay down and kick back for a while. You know, we usually give in to our anxieties and our fears and our stress. We try to escape or compromise or, or cut back or do whatever. Jesus did none of those things. He rested instead. And what empowered him to rest that well? Well, he, he explains it to the disciples after he wakes up and does the miracle. He says, why do you have so little faith? Jesus could rest because Jesus trusted. Trust is almost always the best translation of the word faith. He trusted that, that God was with him. I think Jesus felt called by God to go to the other side, so he was just going to be obedient. He wasn't going to stress about the bumps in the journey on the way. And he, he implies that the disciples should not have stressed out either. They should have just done their job, paddled, <laughs> not, not freaked out. It's the nature of Jesus' rest. You were, supposed to, you were supposed to have rest, guys. You know, we took this trip to relax. <laughs> Why aren't you relaxing? You mean that we were supposed to relax in the middle of a deadly storm? Yeah. Is that not clear? That's Jesus' attitude. And then the fruit of Jesus' rest. The fruit of Jesus' rest is because he rests in faith, because he practices faith to the point of rest, it translates into tremendous power in his life, because faith empowers us to do miracles, does it not? And so Jesus, he rests so well. Right? His, his faith is so rested, however you want to say it, that he got up and just rebukes the elements themselves. He rebukes the storm, which just leads to a powerful truism. You have power over any storm in which you can rest. In life, you know, it's just a great life truism. We have storms in our life, anyone? You have power over any storm in which you can rest. Great truism, great measure of faith, and one that challenges me all the time. You probably don't rest well, uh, and if you are living a blue water life, if you've been around here, you know what I mean by that, uh, then your life is busy. It's tiring. It is extremely full. It is effortful. Effortful. Definitely. Uh, and so you need the capacity to rest well. We all do. So here are some things that will help. Uh, number one, a routine way of doing your work. You need routines in life. If you don't have routines and rhythms in life, uh, you will not get rest, all right? So the first key to resting well is working well, and the proper way to work in life is to have routines and rhythms. I'm going to insert another word that I think is important, priorities. You need to have priorities in life. There need to be a number of big things that you do not 
compromise on ever. They are cornerstones, are big stones in the modern proverb. You put the big stones in the container first, and then you can put in the little stones. If your life is full of little stones, there's never room enough to push in a big stone. Or you can put it this way, and I realize there's a small double entendre here, but bear with me. If you're going to rest well, you're going to have to have big stones. If you don't understand the double entendre, then God bless you. You are naive in a wonderfully Christ-like way. You know, but big stones, daring. You've got to have a lot of attitude uh, in order to, to work well and to rest well. You've got to have big stones in life. You know, so what, what are the things that sort of define your routine in life? How do you work? What do you do day after day? What meetings are important that you're just not going to think about, you're just going to go to, and what activities are important you're just going to do? If you have to decide to exercise every day, then you are an unfit person. If you decide to be an exerciser and you do it every day, you are a fit person. You have a big stone that does not move. You following me? And the same could be said about prayer or showing up to work on time or kingdom gatherings or ministries. And we're going to talk about some of those as this sermon series progresses. But uh, you got to prioritize important things and do them every day, every week, routinely. Uh, number two, uh, rest out of obedience, not accomplishment. And this, I think, is what defines kingdom rest in the world. In the kingdom, we don't rest because we're tired. We don't rest because the work is done. In the kingdom world, we rest out of obedience because God says to rest, which requires faith and submission. Obedience and faith release a lot of power. If you're familiar with our power teachings in the kingdom and around blue water, so we rest out of obedience. We rest when we're told to rest. And that defines us. Right? That is otherworldly. So sometimes you're going to be exhausted and you're not going to rest <laughs> because God has told you to do something. Uh, sometimes you're like, well, I think I could work a little extra today to get ahead. But no, you're going to take the day off because God has told you to. We rest out of obedience. You understand? That's the main thing that characterizes the way we do it over and against the way the world does it. We don't rest when the work is done. We rest when we're told to rest. Which means you'll have some routine for rest in your life. You know, uh, the Lord uh, rather strongly suggests that you have a weekly routine uh, for rest. Um, so consider that. Have a weekly routine for rest. Violate it when you should. Sometimes there are emergencies. And, you know, you have to prioritize. My routines for rest have been thoroughly violated recently because I've just been in an extraordinarily strenuous, uh, emergent, urgent season of life. So I don't, feel, I don't feel bad about violating my routines for rest. I mean, I, I should have. Uh, because things have been so, um, so urgent, the season demanded it. But normally I have a routine for rest, and here it is, I take Mondays off. I don't take Sundays off because I'm doing something else on Sundays. Uh, but I, I, I take Mondays off and I, and I try to be good uh, about it. 
Uh, number, where are we? Three, seize opportunities for resting in faith, no matter the situation. Why did Jesus rest in the boat? Well, he had an opportunity to nap. And so he could do it. That requires great faith. Here's the thing about, here's the thing about Christians. Christians have such faith that they can rest anywhere at any time. They're kind of like Marines, right? Like you're sleeping in a ditch, it's raining, but nobody's shooting at you, it's a great time for a nap. We have any Marines out there? Yeah. Ex-Marines? Seriously? How is that possible? There you go. Am I right? This is what they teach you. Uh, the harder the conditions, the greater the skill for rest. Uh, and if you are good at resting, you can rest anywhere, anytime. Just close your eyes and drift off, whether you sleep or just chill out. You're going to, or do a liturgy at church, you're going to be able to let go and relax. And that will give you the nourishment that you need. We have a unique capacity to do for that. Any martial arts fan out there? Bruce Lee fans? Bruce Lee, enter the dragon, right? He's going, he's going through, you know, the big maze, fighting people off, and then he gets trapped in a room. You remember this scene? Come on. And what does he do? Does he stress out? No. He drapes the nunchucks around his neck, and he sits down, and he takes a nap. Because he's determined there's nothing to do, so he will practice stillness. Bruce Lee, Jesus, I don't know. Think about it. <laughs> Think about it. They both died in 33. Yeah. <laughs> they were both awesome butt kickers. I could go on. Um, my pretending that everything was okay during my season of depression, I, I, just, I had to get so good at that. It's like, look, there's nothing I can do about it. I need to rest. Boom! Four hours of vacation. And I'm going to do what I need to do in my mind to, to get there. Um, other examples. <clears throat> Follow the lead of the Spirit is the fourth one, in some ways the vaguest one, in some ways the most important one, because if you're going to rest out of obedience, you need someone telling you what to do. And that someone is God. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit led Jesus back out of the wilderness. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He followed God's lead and therefore could rest with great assurance because he was clear the Father was with him. He was clear that he was walking in step with the Spirit. And I rest better. Um, you know, I, I don't sleep well in cars because I'm one of those guys that has to know what's going on around me all the time. But uh, if, I, if I trust the driver, I rest much better. Um, might be a, a poor analogy for you. Yeah. I, I don't rest when it's on the drive. No. <laughs> truth, truth, truth be told. Uh, that comes from our college days, but she's a much better driver now. Um, you know, but if, if, you're with, if you're with Jesus, if Jesus is on guard, if the Father is on guard, if the Spirit is on guard, you can probably rest fairly securely, right? So, no, I can take a break here because I, I don't think God's going to fall asleep on the watch. Uh, so you have to get good at being led uh, by, by the Spirit. I'm doing what God told me to do so I can afford to rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You know, the Lord will lead you to times of rest. You can be sure of it. Jesus called himself Lord of the Sabbath. One of the early things he said was, my yoke is easy, or probably a more correct translation, my yoke fits well. It rests comfortably. So, you know, what he's called you to do will fit you. You'll be able to do it. You'll be able to do it. You'll be able to do it. Uh, if you're harried in life, and if you've given yourself over to stress, you may well miss his direction. And his direction is going to come in two forms. Sometimes he's going to say, get to work. 
And sometimes he's going to say, rest. And if you're a mature person, think about this. You have heard him say both. There are some times in which he says, get your butt up and work. Do this. Sacrifice your life on this. And there are some times he's going to say, you have to rest. But, but I don't care what's going on. Rest. And you will have both experiences as you grow up. If you're a grown-up. Uh, two freebies at the end, and we'll just close here. Have the band come up and just do a, a restful worship reprise. In the kingdom of God, whatever you have is enough. That's the kingdom principle that helps me to rest. In the kingdom of God, whatever you have is enough. You have to feed 5,000 men. All you have is five loaves and a couple fish. In the kingdom of God, that's enough. Worry for nothing. Don't worry about tomorrow. I mean, there's so many commands. In the kingdom of God, whatever you have is enough. Just meditate on that. That's one. And number two is, is one of my personal proverbs. Stamina is the rate of work at which you can rest. Resting well helps you to work really hard. I work very, very hard. Very hard. Uh, to keep that up, um, I have to find rest in the midst. Or I think of a marathoner, a good athlete. A marathoner can run a five-minute mile and barely elevate his or her heart rate, right? You can just rest and relax at a level of effort that would kill most of us. And I think that mature followers of Jesus have this sort of character as well. We can live lives that just look incredibly effortful, incredibly intense, but in the midst of it, because we're so good at it, we rest freely. We rest routinely. But God bless us in that. Father, we pray um, again for the presence of the Lord of the Sabbath here today. Come into the room. We offer up all the things that wear us down. We pray humbly. Lead us, Lord of the Sabbath.